You are listening to Perplexity. Everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Perplexity, a mystery podcast. As always, I'm your host, Kadra, and I have a very big, crazy, creepy, kind of funny story for you guys today. Uh, before we get into that, though, I hope everybody had a great Halloween. Uh, hope you partied it up, had some good uh, treats, and watched some creepy movies, got to spend some time with your friends and family. Um, my birthday is in a couple of days, too, and I'm going to have a, a Halloween party then. So I am having two celebrations. Also, if you are new here, welcome. I tell mysterious tales every single week. I just find these stories so perplexing and interesting. So if that sounds of interest to you, uh, be sure to hit the subscribe button if you are watching on YouTube or if you are listening on a podcast platform. Be sure to follow the show. And if you're enjoying it, leave a five-star review. It helps so much. I hope you guys all enjoyed the bonus podcast exclusive episodes that I put out for October every single Tuesday. If you missed those, you can go back and check out those creepy stories I read from the internet wherever you get your podcasts. I didn't realize how much work it was going to be doing five extra episodes more than I normally do (laughs) for the month of October, but holy shit, um, (laughs) that was a lot, but it was so much fun, and like I said, I think you guys will really enjoy those episodes if you haven't heard them yet, and I think the last announcement for now is I did a collaboration with a paranormal podcast called Dairyland Frights, and I am not sure when that episode is coming out yet, but I will let you guys know about that soon, Uh, but you can listen to Dairyland Frights wherever you get your podcasts, and I was a guest on his latest episode, uh, John. So John, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. So without further ado, let's get into today's big, crazy episode. Trigger warning for today's episode, this podcast is not for children and we will be discussing some disturbing and creepy events, so listener discretion is advised, and the sources that were used for today's episode will all be in the show notes. So I've been saving this story in my back pocket for about the last month, just been kind of carefully researching this. Uh, We are going to be talking about one of the most famous hauntings from the United States, and it is the story of the Bell Witch. So super excited about this one. This is actually one of the most famous hauntings in the U.S. There are many historical records to verify these events. And it is widely considered by ghost hunters and paranormal investigators to be America's most haunted location. This story takes place in Tennessee in the 1800s. And this story is actually so well known that at least for a while, it was taught in schools in Tennessee as part of the state's history. There are a lot of books, films, songs, plays, documentaries that are all loosely based around the Bell Witch. 
uh, ghost adventures covered this story and they went into the Bell Witch Cave and did a whole investigation there, which we will be talking about later. And according to bellwitchcave.com, no supernatural story in American history is more well-documented than that of the Bell Witch of Adams, Tennessee. So let's get into it, shall we? So according to legend, from 1817 to 1821, the Bell family came under attack by a mostly invisible, goblin-like entity that was not only able to speak, but also affect the physical environment and shapeshift. Other accounts have even claimed that the witch was clairvoyant, capable of crossing very long distances, being in more than one place at the same time, and having superhuman speed. So the reason that this is called the Bell Witch is because it centers around the Bell family. The Bell family was very wealthy. It consisted of the patriarch John Bell, his wife Lucy, and their children. So John married this woman named Lucy Williams. She was the daughter of a very prominent farmer. They got married in 1782. And the Williams family was wealthy and successful. They were big farmers. And in 1804, the Bell family would relocate specifically to Robertson County in Adams, Tennessee. So at this time, Adams was known as the Red River, and this town is pretty close to Nashville. It's like 40 minutes, not too far. And it was an area of beautiful rolling hills. It was a great place for farming. So that is exactly what the Bells did. They, you know, were wealthy, so they bought a bunch of land along the Red River and started settling in. So for the first 13 years, Things were peaceful, as far as we know, in the Bell home. There weren't any paranormal hauntings. There wasn't anything awry. But for some reason, in the summer of 1817, very strange things started happening to the Bells on their land. So the way that this story is told in literature is that John was outside one day inspecting the fields when he saw something strange in the distance. So he's checking this out, trying to see what he's looking at, and he sees this very large animal on the other side of the field. And it's not an animal he recognizes. It's not some type of bear or anything like that. He said that this animal appeared to have the head of a rabbit and the body of a large dog. Very upsetting, very creepy. So John's obviously very freaked out by this, and as people do in the country, when they see something that they think could harm them, they get a gun and they try to shoot it. So that is exactly what John did. He grabbed his gun, he took his aim, and he fired. But when he did this, this mysterious, creepy animal vanished. So I'm sure at the time... John Bell tried to rationalize this. He was probably a little shaken up, but he, you know, moves on from this. But not long after, then his children started to see very creepy, strange things around the farm. John's son, Drew, would later claim that he saw a gigantic bird sitting on the fence of their property. He called it a bird of extraordinary size, specifically. 
And a little while after this, their daughter Betsy saw a girl in a green dress swinging back and forth from the limb of one of their trees. The Bell family also uh, had slaves on their property, as was unfortunately very common and a messed up practice during this time period. So you will hear a lot about um, what their slaves experienced in this story, specifically Dean, one of their male slaves. And Dean would report being followed by a large black dog nearly every single night when he would walk around the outside of the property. So as if this wasn't already unsettling enough, then this outer activity that's happening, you know, on the Bell's land seemed to move closer towards the home. It wasn't long before the Bells claimed they were hearing very loud beating sounds uh, along the outside of the walls of the cabin, like someone was running up and just banging hard against the, the cabin walls. But the sound would move all around the outside of the cabin. It would like crescendo and get really loud and then really soft. So it was very unnatural and very creepy. The bells were so disturbed by this that they would sprint outside quickly and have a look around trying to figure out what was causing the noise. But time and time again, they would go outside and they would find absolutely nothing. Not even footprints on the ground. And then the noises started to make their way inside of the house. Which, at this point, I would be very much like, hell to the no, get out of my space, this ain't happening. We'd be having um, some priests over to the house, we would be saging the ever-living shit out of this house. I don't mess with this stuff. So one night... John Bell's children had a very disturbing experience. They were trying to go to sleep, they're resting in their beds, all relaxed, trailing off for the night, when they started to hear gnawing sounds on the bedposts. And they described it as if rats were trying to eat the, the foots of the, the beds. Then the children started complaining that their covers and their pillows were being ripped out from under them while they were sleeping. Their covers were being taken off of them and thrown on the ground. Uh, they started hearing other really strange sounds, like the sound of chains dragging across the floor, invisible dogs fighting each other, the sound of stones dropping onto the floor, and choking sounds. So to me, when I heard this, it sounds a lot like just torturous sounds, people or animals being tortured. So whatever this entity was, though, it seemed to have a particular interest in John Bell. And this entity would completely destroy John Bell's life. The entity would also get a pretty strong interest in John's daughter, Betsy. Betsy was the youngest, and things in the home just continued to escalate. So Betsy eventually started having these physical attacks from this mysterious entity. Her hair was being violently pulled. She felt like she was being stuck with pins and needles. She was being slapped across the face. And she would be slapped so violently that there would be redness, welts, and handprints on her. And then... 
the entity began to talk to the bells. So Betsy is pretty young at this point. I can't remember how old, but she would have been, I think like 13, 14, somewhere around that age. And she met a young boy in the area named Joshua Gardner. Joshua was, I think, 18 at the time, which not appropriate, but unfortunately pretty common during this time period. And also during this time period, Betsy would have been at the age to get married. So Betsy's supposed to be getting married. It's time for her to start looking. And she develops this interest in this 18-year-old boy named Joshua Gardner. And he was interested in her as well. So I guess Betsy was talking, you know, openly about this and they eventually got engaged. Well, this Bell Witch entity did not like that. Didn't like it one bit. Betsy and John and other members of the family would claim that the entity would loudly, vocally protest this engagement. It would demand that Betsy break off this engagement or else. And Betsy later described an incident where one time she was so frightened by the witch that she went to a neighbor's house to stay the night. You know, she just wanted some peace and quiet. She's resting at the neighbor's home when she suddenly heard a very loud knocking on the door. And then the door flew open. There was a big gust of wind and a bellowing voice. And it seemed to be the Bell Witch, and it told her that it could follow her anywhere. John was also being tormented by the Bell Witch and was very miserable. He began having health problems. He started having, like, twitching and numbness in his face and swelling in, like, his facial muscles and his tongue. He was having difficulty swallowing. And he had um, facial paralysis. And it seemed like the Bell Witch was feeding off of John Bell's energy. So basically, the weaker that John Bell became, the stronger this entity became. So the family is terrified and getting fed up. And it starts to ask this entity, like, why are you here? Why are you tormenting us? What the hell do you want? And legend goes that the spirit responded to them saying, quote, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but have been disturbed and made unhappy. I am the spirit of a person who was buried in the woods nearby, and the grave was disturbed. My bones disinterred and scattered, and one of my teeth was lost under this house. I am here looking for that tooth. End quote. So it's kind of that classic story of disturbing a grave and then your ass gets haunted. But here's the problem. The spirit's origin story would often change. And I don't know if that's just through history or through the game of telephone, people having different ideas and different legends, or if the spirit was a little little sneaky liar, because (laughs) it's apparently said that the spirit would give all kinds of different origin stories to different people it would come across. It would tell people sometimes it was a spirit from heaven. Other times it would tell people it was a spirit from hell, uh, that it was from the earth, from the air, the houses. Uh, It would tell people it could exist at any place at any time and that it had been around for millions of years. So very mysterious origins. 
And the Bell family claimed that the entity would sing hymns, it would quote scripture, it would carry on full conversations with them, it would even have religious debates with people. The Bell Witch was also known for its accurate predictions of the future, it would speak about how it would leave and then return in future years, and it was also known to have these very extreme ranges of emotion. So it would go into these like random blind rages and hurt Betsy or curse, throw things, and then it would be like really pleasant and calm in the next moment. Like I mentioned a little bit earlier, the witch was also known to torment the family's slaves, including Dean, as if they weren't already being tortured enough. So the witch was known to beat the slaves, and it refused to allow them into the house. The Bell's slave Dean would claim to encounter the witch in this dog-like form, like I said, and sometimes this dog-like form would have two heads. Sometimes it would have no head at all. Dean also claimed one time the Bell witch transformed him into a mule, like a donkey, and it had also attacked him several times, leading him to be so scared that he would carry an axe around with him at all times for protection. And Dean's wife also made him what he called a witch ball to serve as protection. So, you know, maybe a ball with like different herbs or protection remedies inside. But for whatever reason, this entity loved Lucy Bell, John's wife. It absolutely adored her. The entity would call Lucy the most perfect woman to walk the earth, and it would give Lucy fresh fruit and sing hymns to her. So from what I gathered, the first year that all of this is going on, the Bell family kind of kept this within the family. They, I'm sure, were scared that people would think they were crazy, and they didn't tell anybody. But eventually they became so desperate for help John Bell reached out to one of his friends and told him what was going on. So the man's name was James Johnson, and he came and he stayed at the Bell's home. He agreed to help investigate, try to get to the bottom of things. And it's said that this friend would experience the same phenomena and later told John that this spirit appeared to be like one in the Bible. So basically a demonic entity. So it wouldn't take long after this for other people in the area to start hearing about the Bell Witch. And naturally they're curious. This is like the same time period where when someone got murdered, an entire town would walk through the cabin and have a look around and, oh, look at the bodies. So, of course, that's the time period we're dealing with. So people would come by the dozens, by the hundreds. They would camp out at the Bell's home because they wanted to experience this for themselves. And I got mixed reports about this as to like whether or not John Bell liked people coming or not. Like some people said that it helped drum up business for them. They made money off of it and he enjoyed having the people there. Other people said he didn't want anything to do with it and he didn't like people coming on the property because he was a private person. So I don't really know, but we do know that a lot of people came and experienced the Bell Witch for themselves. People that would come visit would claim to hear the witch singing, shrieking, and cursing. Each time that skeptics would come, they would turn into believers. They would experience furniture crashing around them. 
And even a man named Dr. Mize, who attempted to exercise the witch, was mocked and frightened away. The entity was basically like, you're hilarious if you think you can get rid of me. You have no idea what you're dealing with. One of the most common questions that skeptics would ask the Bell Witch was, who are you? And the Bell Witch's answer would always differ. But at one point, it claimed it was the spirit of Kate Batts. So a lot of people believe that the Bell Witch was Kate Batts. Kate was the neighbor of the Bell family, and many people in the area believed her to be a witch. Some people also believed that she might have felt spited by John in a land purchase, like he may have gotten more land or cheated her out on a deal, and maybe she wanted revenge. Kate Batts also attended the local church, the same church that the Bells went to, And John Bell would claim later that the Bell Witch also claimed it had attended this same church. It was able to quote an entire sermon verbatim. So maybe this is another reason why they thought Kate Batts was responsible for this, because she went to the same church and she had reason to be upset with John. Another interesting thing about this is not only was the Bell Witch allegedly able to quote an entire sermon verbatim, but it was able to quote two sermons word for word that were given at the same time 13 miles apart from each other. The witch was also known to get into religious arguments, it would play pranks, it would share gossip about activities at other people's houses, And the witch would also claim that she would leave for a bit sometimes, like she would tell the bells, I'm going to go out for a little bit, I'll be back. John Johnson, the son of James Johnson, the family friend, also got word of this and decided that he was going to devise a little test for the witch. So he asked the entity what his Dutch step-grandmother in North Carolina would say if she thought that the slaves did something wrong because she was a slave owner. So basically he asked it a very specific question to to test it because he knew nobody would know this answer except for him and his grandmother. The witch apparently not only quoted his grandmother perfectly, but it also responded in his grandmother's accent saying, hut tut, what has happened now? So the news of the Bell Witch continues to spread far and wide, and people even started camping out on the property by the hundreds. There was a guest who was a local in the area, a man named William Porter, and he was very determined to put an end to the Bell Witch. He claimed that one night while he was staying at the Bells, the entity tried to climb into bed with him, and so he like took his blanket over the entity to try to trap it, and then he was gonna throw it into the fire and kill it. But William Porter would say that the entity's immense weight and putrid smell made this too difficult. He couldn't kill it. And Mr. Porter would also later say, quote, I almost killed that bitch. (laughs) Another guest, an Englishman and skeptic, stopped for a visit one time and talked to the witch about how his family had been visiting from overseas. The witch then began to mimic his English parents. And I don't just mean like it faked an English accent or whatever. I mean that it literally parroted 
his parents' voices. Like, if you were to close your eyes, he would hear his parents. So, super creepy. Makes me think of, like, a parrot or a mockingbird. And this freaked this guy out so badly that he fled soon after. And he later wrote a letter to the Bell family, basically apologizing for not believing them sooner. And he also said he believed that this entity must have somehow visited his family in England. So there's a lot of lore around this story, but especially around this part. So some people even claim that Andrew Jackson, as in general and future president Andrew Jackson, visited the Bell family property and experienced the Bell Witch for himself. John Bell Jr., along with his brothers, Drury and Jesse, fought under General Jackson in the Battle of New Orleans. So we do know that he knew the Bell family, but Jackson, you know, allegedly came to the property along with some of his troops. And the legend goes that while they were coming in on their wagon, the wagon stopped and seemed to suddenly freeze in place. Jackson's men tried to free the wagon, thinking that it might have been trapped in mud or something, but when they got out to look at the wheels, there was nothing wrong, and they just could not get the horses to move. The wagon was seemingly frozen. So Jackson is said to have exclaimed, By the eternal, boys, it is the witch. And I don't know why, but if this really did happen, Jackson says, By the eternal, like in every single quote. <laughs> so it's like some weird like exclamation he had, but everything he says starts with by the eternal. <laughs> so really weird. It's then said that Jackson and his troops suddenly heard a booming voice from the nearby trees saying, all right, general, let the wagon move on. I will see you again tonight. And then magically, the wagon was able to move again. One of the men that was with Jackson claimed to be a witch tamer. And at some point in the evening, it's said that this man pulled out a pistol with a silver bullet in it, and he threatened to kill any evil spirit that were to appear. He started to taunt the witch, saying that it was scared of him. And then it's said that suddenly, this man began to scream in pain. He was complaining that he felt like he was being stuck with pins, which is like the same sensation that Betsy would get when she was being attacked by the witch, John's daughter. He then began to get tossed around and appeared to be getting hit in the face. He then got a swift kick in the ass and this sent him out the front door and his nose was even bleeding. So then there were some conflicting reports about how Jackson responded to this event. One source that I read said that Jackson later said, quote, I had rather face the entire British army than to spend another night with the Bell Witch, end quote. So there's sources that say he was super terrified. And then there's other sources that say he thought it was hilarious. There's another quote that says, By the eternal, boys, I never saw so much fun in all my life. This beats fighting the British. So then the next morning, it's said that Jackson and his troops fled back to Nashville and were believers of the Bell Witch. However, some people are skeptical that Jackson may have ever stayed there at all. So these paranormal investigators named Benjamin Radford and Brian Dunning noted that 
Andrew Jackson's movements were very well documented during this time period, so there's no historical writings or evidence to prove his presence there. So some people believe this is all made up, but also if we know anything about government officials and just government programs in general, there's lots of things that have happened that conveniently were never documented. So keep your mind open, who knows? John Bell continued to be tormented by the Bell Witch, and on December 20th, 1820, John would mysteriously pass away. Next to his body, his children would later find a vial with a strange black smoky liquid inside. The Bell Witch would later claim to take credit for this, saying, quote, I gave old Jack a dose of that last night, which fixed him, end quote. So one of John Bell's sons, John Jr., was curious as to what this liquid could have been. So he put two drops of it on their poor cat's tongue. And it's said that when this happened, the cat jumped into the air suddenly, rolled over in midair, and was dead when it hit the floor. Like, leave the poor cat alone. Then John Jr. tossed the vial into the fireplace, and this liquid burst into a bright blue flame, and then shot up the chimney. And then later, when John Bell's funeral was going on, it's said that the Bell Witch crashed this incredibly large funeral, loudly singing drinking songs. <laughs> and she didn't stop singing until the last mourner left the graveyard. Which, I know you shouldn't speak ill of the dead, but like, this guy was a slave owner and this was a long time ago. And there's also some different theories around what kind of person he was to his wife and to his children, so... I think this is kind of iconic. Some people believe that the Bell Witch killed John. There's also a theory that it might have been Kate Batts herself that poisoned him. Like, physically came into the house and did it herself. John Bell's death has been historically attributed, though, to the Bell Witch. And this makes Tennessee the only state to have ever recognized a person's death being caused by a supernatural event. So I thought that was a really interesting piece of history. By 1821, the Bell Witch would get her wish and Betsy would end her engagement with Joshua. The witch continued to torment her and demand that she end things with him, so she did. And Betsy would later marry her former teacher, Richard Powell. And apparently, the Bell Witch had wanted her to marry Mr. Powell all along. Which is super gross, because again, she was around like 14, and Mr. Powell was her freaking old teacher. And apparently, he had liked her for a long time, so gross. After John died, the Bell Witch told the family that it was going to leave for a while, but then it was going to come back in seven years. In 1828, it did return to Lucy and her sons, Richard and Joel. And the Bell Witch did similar things around the home, you know, doing its antics, but this time they tried to essentially ignore the Bell Witch. They didn't encourage it or feed into it. And it got bored and it left again. When it left the second time, it said it was going to return, but not for another 107 years. 
and that would be the year 1935. We don't really know anything that may have happened in 1935, like if it came back or not. However, we do know that in 1937, a new owner of the land, Lewis Garrison, claimed to hear unexplained noises coming from inside the Bell Witch Cave. And this cave is nearby to the farmland that the Bells had. A group of people that same year also attended a barbecue in a rock quarry near Bellwitch Cave. This was on July 29th, 1937. So these people were hanging out, they're joking around, just smoking their little hot dogs, and it's said that they started to talk about the legend of the Bellwitch and the area, and they were just kind of making fun of it, like, oh, this is stupid. But this is when they suddenly saw the figure of a woman appear on top of the cliff over the cave, causing most of the group to run away in fear. And we're going to talk a lot more about the cave in just a second. But let's get into some theories as to what this entity could have been. So there's tons of theories about the Bell Witch. Some people say it was a goblin-like entity because it would, you know, play pranks. It sought mayhem and it would feed off of people's energy. Other people compare it to a djinn, which is an Eastern ghost. There are other people who claim this was all Betsy Bell's doing, the daughter. And some people think she may have conjured this thing up to protect her from her alleged trauma that she was experiencing in the home at the hands of John Bell. Or perhaps Betsy was a master ventriloquist and she faked the whole thing. Many people have suspected Betsy of fraud and called the case an example of the poltergeist faking syndrome. Basically just a teenager causing mischief. I personally don't believe that. I think it would be very hard to fake all of this, especially considering so many other people experienced it for themselves. There's also a theory that Kate Batts never left the area and she instead went to live in the Bell Witch Cave. There's tons of other fun, interesting theories about what the Bell Witch could have been. So if you want to learn more, I will have some sources in the show notes, including the book that was written about this. So I would definitely encourage you to check that out. Let's talk about the Bell Witch Cave. So the Bell Witch Cave, like I said, is very, very close by to the Bell Witch Farm. And it is known to have a lot of paranormal activity. It's famous in the area. And there's a lot of unexplained phenomena that still happens there to this day. A girl named Bonnie Hanaline explored the cave in 1944 while she was skipping class. And when she went inside the cave, she had a lantern with her so she could see. And Bonnie claims that the lantern kept blowing out besides the fact that there was no breeze in the cave, and she would relight the lantern, but each time the flame would mysteriously be blown out. She became so terrified that she ran out of the cave, and when she reached the cave entrance, she found an opened can of pork and beans and marshmallows, which, wow, what a meal. And later that evening, law enforcement arrested two escaped fugitives that had been hiding in the cave. So who's to say it wasn't the fugitives messing with her, or maybe it was the entity messing with her, maybe it was trying to protect her from these fugitives. 
but I thought that was an interesting story. Got a couple more for you guys. Uh, in 1977, a soldier and skeptic visited the cave and was sitting on a rock when he felt something invisible grab him around the chest. In 1986, there were two men that spent the night in the cave, and they claimed that they were hearing loud groaning noises coming from further inside the cave. And the noises just kept getting louder and louder and closer to them. Then the cave started rumbling and shaking. Then the noise turned into a high-pitched scream. And so this frightened the men so much that they ran out. They fled, similar to Bonnie Hanelin. And this one I just thought was hilarious. In the 1960s, a man named H.C. Sanders ran out of gas across from the Bellwitch Cave. He began to walk towards town to get gas when a rabbit suddenly came out of the woods and began to follow him. As Sanders walked faster and faster, the rabbit seemed to keep perfect pace with him. Eventually, the man broke into a run. But still, the rabbit continued to follow him, keeping pace, no problem. This went on for an entire mile, until eventually the man grew so tired that he sat down to catch his breath. The rabbit then hopped up on the other side of Sanders and said to Sanders, Hell of a race we had there, wasn't it? <laughs> like, what in the Looney Tunes is happening? People who have toured Bellwitch Cave in a more present day have experienced their phones acting up, randomly turning on and off, malfunctioning, um, having issues with their cameras, repeatedly taking pictures uncontrollably. Weird and unexplained things have also shown up on the photos. Uh, dark shadows, orbs of light, and not to mention the bluff above the Bellwitch Cave entrance is the home of an old Native American sacred burial ground. So there you go. And if you remember earlier in the story, it's said that the bell witch told the bells that its origins were from this Native American burial ground and its uh, grave had been disturbed and that it was missing some teeth. So I thought that was interesting and relevant. This has been confirmed as well, that there is a Native American burial ground here. We know this because previous owners of the land had an archeologist come and dig around, and the archeologist estimated that there were graves there between three to 5,000 years old. The bodies had been buried sitting straight up in the ground, and their remains were facing east. So this helped determine the time period, and that the remains must have belonged to Chickasaw ancestors. There's another theory about the Bell Witch that stems from the cave, and that perhaps the entity originated from the cave itself. Basically, the cave honed this dark, heavy energy and created the Bell Witch. If you're in this area, you can also tour the reconstructed John Bell cabin. You can see preserved artifacts from the original cabin, along with news articles and photographs. The Bell Witch haunting is the only haunting that was ever investigated by a state government. And Tennessee concluded that this was a supernatural event. Additionally, the activity at the farm was later recorded in a letter dated for June 6th, 1819. So this is about two years after everything started happening. 
The letter was found between the pages of an old family Bible by a man named Dan Willoughby. And Willoughby is a direct descendant of the man quoted in the letter. Dan's also a writer and a historian himself, so he found this letter very interesting. In the Ghost Adventures episode about Bellwitch Cave, they interviewed Dan Willoughby, and when he started talking about the letter, he said, quote, My great-great-great-grandfather somehow got trapped between Silver Fork Creek and Carver Spring, ended up at the Bells, end quote. He then started to quote part of the letter, which read, There was no angel, there was a demon in the house. Folks sat in the room reading the Bible to wait on the witch ghost. The youngest son of John Bell also kept a diary throughout his time at the farm, and this also documented all of the hauntings there. During the Ghost Adventures episode, they also brought on a descendant of the guy that tried to trap the Bell Witch in the blanket and set it on fire. I guess they did this to hopefully, like, anger the Bell Witch. They thought it would stir up more activity. And they brought him to the Bell Witch Cave, and they spent a lot of time there. They got a lot of activity. They heard disembodied voices. There was unexplained electrical activity and orbs of light. So if you want to go check that out on Ghost Adventures, go watch it. People who visit the John Bell Reconstructed Farm today claim to hear the faint sounds of people talking and children playing, along with seeing candlelights dancing through the dark fields. Photographs have even captured mists, orbs of light, and human-like figures. Richard Bell, one of John Bell's sons, also wrote about the hauntings. He described the noises outside the house and how they later went inside the house and got into Betsy's room. Richard also recalled the witch slapping Betsy and pulling her hair, so he witnessed this as well. And in 1894, newspaper editor Martin V. Ingram published his authenticated history of the Bell Witch. So this is the famous book all about this that you can read. The book is considered the first full-length record of the legend. In Ingram's book, he refers to the witch as Old Kate Batts's Witch, and he mentions the witch allegedly responded to that name, so this seems to be where that theory came from about it being Kate Batts. In 1934, Dr. Bell, a descendant of John Bell, published a book as well, containing the first ever account of the alleged conversations between the entity and John Bell Jr. Some people have skepticized, called Ingram a fraud, said that this is nothing more than a historical fake, but other people consider the reading a fascinating folklore study and an accurate reflection of the history in the area during this time. According to Ben Radford, the Bellwitch story demonstrates, quote, how easily legend and myth can be mistaken for fact and real events and how easily the lines are blurred. The burden of proof is not on skeptics to disprove anything, but rather for the proponents to prove claims, end quote. However, I personally think Amy Fluker, a researcher of the Mississippi version of the legend, summed it up best, regardless of what side of the fence that you're on. Fluker said, quote, As a historian of collective memory, it matters very little to my research if hauntings are real or not. 
it does matter that people believe they are. As a result, they can help us understand the perspectives, in this case, of 19th and 20th century Americans, end quote. So perhaps it's people's beliefs of the Bell Witch that make this haunting real after all. But whatever the case, even if this is just one very well-documented myth, legend, the story of the Bell Witch is certainly perplexing. So that, everybody, is the huge, insane story of the Bell Witch, also known as one of the most haunted places in America. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, tell your friends, family, tell the world about this podcast, share it with somebody. Uh, If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to thumbs up, like this video, hit that subscribe button and the notification button so that you can keep up with the latest perplexing tales that I share. If you are listening on the podcast, add the show to your list and please leave five-star reviews. You guys have no idea how much that helps small independent podcasters like myself. So thank you in advance for that. You all are amazing. I hope you have a great week and I will talk to you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Perplexity, a mystery podcast hosted, written, and produced by Kadra Brennan. If you enjoyed today's episode, tell the world about it by going to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leaving a five-star review. It helps the show more than you know. Contact, support, and merch links can be found in the episode description. And if you have a story to share or a topic request, send an email to perplexitymysterypodcast at gmail.com. Cager would love to read your story on the podcast. Until next week, stay curious.